My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. As a white man of a certain age who's been in a few senior corporate roles, I'm always mindful of the importance of improving diversity, equity, and inclusion, both around the top table and throughout the organization. And of course, I'm constantly inspired by my Chinese-American wife, Mildred, who does a lot of amazing work in this space. I can't stress the importance of it. As well as it being simply the right thing to do, there's also plenty of evidence that diversity drives better ideation, better decision-making, and ultimately better corporate performance too. It's a topic I feel I'm continually learning about, and I'm lucky to have interviewed a number of thought leaders in this space on the Unlock Moment, most notably podcaster Taya Roxon, actor Adjua Akoto, senior retail leader Normal Cialo, and choreographers Kel and Anthony Matsena, all great episodes for you to go discover later. Today, I'm delighted to welcome one of America's top corporate leaders, James D. White, to the Unlock Moment. As the former CEO of the smoothie brand Jamba Juice, James led a successful turnaround, achieved record results, and ushered in a new era of diversity and inclusion. He is a transformational leader with over 30 years' experience as a CEO and operating executive in the consumer products, retail, and restaurant industries, as well as an experienced corporate director and advisor with 20 years of experience on more than 15 public and private boards. James currently chairs the board of the recently IPO'd Honest Company, founded by Jessica Alba, and is executive chair of the startup Air Protein, in addition to several other boards. In 2020, he launched his own firm, Culture Design Lab, to coach, train, and lead CEOs, boards, chief people officers, and chief diversity officers on operationalizing his diversity, equity, and inclusion playbook. White is regularly featured in the media for his work, including Harvard Business Review, Shark Tank, and the Wall Street Journal. Now in his groundbreaking book, Anti-Racist Leadership, How to Transform Corporate Culture in a Race-Conscious World, James and his daughter Krista, who has joined him in his work, offer real-world advice on how business leaders can address what has become the most important goal in the corporate world today. I'm looking forward to hearing James's perspective on practical actions leaders can take to promote diversity and inclusion, to create a true culture of belonging. And of course, I'm fascinated to hear the unlock moments along the way that helped him to figure out the path ahead. James D. White, it is my great pleasure to welcome you on the unlock moment. Gary, I'm thrilled to be on with you uh, here today. Fantastic. Start us out with talking a little about the journey you went on to write this book on anti-racist leadership. Well, I'd take you back uh, almost uh, three years ago at this point. I'd started uh, working in this space with one of the boards that I sat on, and I happened to invite my daughter, Krista, to join me on the project. She was uh, a brilliant researcher, brilliant writer, so she joined me on the project. 
we found kind of a common passion uh, for the work, and we ultimately went on to work with several other companies. And at some point, we look at each other and say, there is a, a story to be told here from a public company CEO, public company director, a black man who has had you know 30 years experience in industry that is currently not present in the marketplace. And uh, we felt like the force multiplier would be uh, his millennial daughter joining him in this journey, filtering a lot of those stories through her eyes with you know, constant uh, push and push back through the, the process. And what did you learn working with your daughter with her perspective? I think there's really a couple things. And one of the places that I love to start is uh, with the uh, introduction uh, to the book. So if you don't mind, I'll read uh, just brief, briefly the first paragraph. Uh, this book is not apolitical. This book is explicitly anti-racist, pro-black, pro-LGBTQIA, and feminist. This book takes the stance that Black Lives Matter, that LGBTQIA rights are human rights, that people of all abilities deserve respect and access, and that people of all genders have the right to sovereignty over their bodies and identities. This book acknowledges that capitalism is built on a foundation of systemic racism, and that to have a truly diverse, equitable, and inclusive work environment we must acknowledge the historic and present injustices faced by marginalized people. And I always love to start here. Uh, and this uh, paragraph was crafted by my daughter, uh, Krista. It would have been uh, right after the tragic uh, murder of George Floyd here in the uh, U.S., which uh, in many ways spurred this racial reckoning globally uh, around the Topic. So Krista comes to me one evening and says, Dad, I've got a different way that I believe we should start the book. Um, and this is the paragraph she brought to me at that time, kind of unedited, uh, as is present in the opening of the book. The point that I'd like to make here is, you know, the team that was working with us to craft the the book and uh, you know, you know, work work on the project. Uh the next day I read the uh, paragraph to uh, the team, and they say, "Well, James, you're a mainstream business person. Do you care if you ever work again?" And I always pause here to kind of let that thought sink in. And I, and it took me, you know, you know, not five seconds to say, "I really don't. I actually think the world is changing. I think Chris has captured something here. I think the future is going to require uh, this kind of direct." Uh, acknowledgement of where we sit if we're going to ever make uh, progress. And I'm happy to report to your listeners, I've never been busier. Uh, and we're super excited about the book and uh, thrilled to be on with you here today. I was in a conversation with another of my interviews, interviewees on the podcast about the murder of George Floyd. And I said my perspective, from I was working in luxury retail business at, at that time. Um, and I described it as the 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 world had woken up and a lot of people who had felt that it was somebody else's problem had suddenly woken up at that time and i think a lot of people you know i, I often slightly disparagingly describe myself as one of the male pale and stale people you know that 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 you know we we should build a more diverse workforce and a lot of people that 
looked like me turned around to each other and went, we don't actually know what to do next. We do know, we do know something needs to change. And I think that there was a big reckoning at that point. But I think it's, it's really interesting because what you've built in the book is a playbook for organizations and for leaders to be able to start to and, and, and embed these kind of culture changes through their organization. So, so where do people start on that journey to build a proper culture of diversity and inclusion within their organizations? I think the first place that I uh, ask leaders to start is with themselves. Um, and a lot of my work is with CEOs and, and board members. So at really the top of the organization, uh, the thesis of uh, the playbook and the way we think this has to work, the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion, anti-racist leadership uh, is the work of company culture. Uh, and the CEO, she can never delegate that work is kind of the point that we say often. So it really starts with the CEO. Uh, in their own journey to to learn and investigate and primarily listen. Uh, so the place I ask people to start is just to, uh, you know, really evaluate every system in your own organization that touches human beings or touches people. So all the people systems from hiring to onboarding to how we promote people to how people get uh, the choice work assignments inside a company to how we compensate. Uh, people and and look for anything in those processes that would be biased towards one group versus another and try to remove those biases. So that's kind of the first place to start is around process and structure. There's an awareness there and there's a, there's a change in, in process, there's a change in in all sorts of elements of the operating model of the business. Does it require a change in people? around the top table or some degree of change in people? Or can it can can organizations create a diverse workforce without necessarily changing any of the people around the top table? I'd make two points. I actually think uh, diversity in the boardroom is required, and I think b- diversity in the C-suite is required. Uh, the, the main point I'd make is uh, to be able to t- attract this next generation of talent they're going to want to be able to look at the organization and say, there's someone that looks like me and there's an opportunity for someone, you know, from my background inside this organization. So the answer is a definite yes. Um, can you do that over time? Absolutely. Uh, but that needs to be a part of any agenda to drive more diversity, more inclusion inside uh, the organization. Uh, the other point that I'd make is, the way to make sustainable change inside the organization is in the middle management of the organization. And we spend a lot of time focused there in the book. The big unlock for organizations are really the people that sit in those middle management people leadership roles, uh, because those are the managers that we all experience the company through. So if that group of leaders don't buy into the values, don't buy into this is an important agenda inside the company. Uh, there are going to be fits and starts, and you will never make the progress around this work that is possible. But the companies that I've seen really unlock the full potential to have uh, the greatest diversity and the most access to the broadest set of talent, uh, they spend a lot of time and effort investing uh, in in tools and process and training 
for that group, and they also incentivize them in the right way. And then at some point, after we give key leaders the opportunity to come on board with the values of the company, uh, there are certain people uh, that just don't buy into this work as being uh, important. And I always describe it as, you know, after we've uh, invested in training and given people ample opportunity to bring themselves along and come on board, we give people the opportunity to free up their futures to go do something else. So it becomes a value uh, alignment issue uh, within the leadership of the company. As you say, representation really matters. When you think back to your own career experience, do you remember you know, early in your career, did you have people ahead of you that could inspire you, that, that were black leaders that, that you could look up to and, and, and inspire you to build your own career? Unfortunately, very, very few that would have been obvious in the companies that I would have worked in. Uh, I often talk about uh, Black Enterprise Magazine, uh, me taking motivation and inspiration from the leaders that I could read about from afar. Uh, and again, context for your readers, I would have come of age in the 1980s, so probably the second generation of Black leaders in corporate uh, America, if you think about generations, is a decade or so. Um, so very, very few. I can remember, uh, you know, seeing the the first black leaders in the C-suite of major corporations, uh, you know, like Xerox and other uh, companies uh, in America. And then that always pointed uh, to the opportunity for me. And again, my background is I'm the first member of my family to graduate uh, from co college, which is important to my story, kind of humble beginnings. There would have been no one in my family that would have gone before me into businesses. And unfortunately, there were very few uh, examples that sat ahead of me. Most of my career, I was the most senior uh, black within almost every company that I worked in across a 30-year uh, career. Remember the the day you first landed in a boardroom or an executive role. Did you feel a sense of responsibility beyond your own personal goals and achievements? Absolutely. Uh, you know, for me, I've always felt a great responsibility to uh, really adding to the culture of every company that I've worked on. So even before I made it to uh, a corporate vice president level, which is a you know a really big accomplishment. Uh, I was always a champion for diversity throughout all the uh, companies that I worked for. And I worked for you know major corporations like the Coca-Cola Company. Uh, I worked for Nestle, uh, Purina, and would have always been an advocate for underrepresented groups really across my career. And when I had the power uh, to really impact policy uh, is really when I leaned in you know, even harder to make sure that we uh, worked on systems and structures to create uh, more sustainable ways to create uh, diversity, equity, and much greater uh, inclusion uh, in all the companies that I work for. You talk about in the book, which I think is a really, really interesting point, is this idea about cultural fit. So a lot of organizations and, and leaders think about, well, I want to build a team that's got a good cultural fit. And, and in the book, you talk about how that actually perpetuates certain ways of working or ways of building teams. So talk to me about why cultural fit can be a bit of a trip hazard for organizations trying to 
build a diverse culture? Yeah, I think if you think about uh, culture fit, we all then tend to look for people that were educated in the same way we were educated, uh, belong to many of the same clubs. And you look and say, aha, Gary is just brilliant. We went to the same university, enjoy the same uh, sporting events. The point we make in the book is um, the best companies, the best leaders have processes to look for people who are culture ads. So I always want people that bring something unique to the table that can be uh, an addition or an accelerator uh, in strengthening our culture. And I think that's a mindset uh, shift that unlocks uh, opportunity for us to look in different places for candidates and look for candidates that don't necessarily come from uh, the backgrounds that we uh, come from uh, to the benefit of the organization. And I want to pick up on something you said there, which I thought was really powerful, was um, cultural fit is something that often people think they're doing a good thing, and th they probably think that they're doing it in a, in a diverse and thoughtful and, and, and broad way. But actually, we do have our, all our own unconscious biases of, of, of some way, shape, and form. And you said the organizations that do this well have processes in order to, to do this well. They don't just try to do it well. They actually have processes to do it. So what kind of processes do the best organizations have in place to ensure that they are proactively looking for and, and, and identifying and bringing through diverse candidates into, into senior roles? I think there's a handful of uh, ways that I've seen people do this work best. Uh, Firstly, they work hard to go to different places from a sourcing perspective to look for talent. So going to places uh, that would yield more diverse talent is uh, a starting point. The second place where the best companies do uh, good work is they have a, a more diverse recruiting team in the process. So they've got more points of view to evaluate what good talent looks like and what a talent ad would be inside uh, the, the, the company. And then I think they're thoughtful on the uh, back end to uh, make sure as they onboard people, they've got fantastic processes uh, that make people uh, feel welcome and get them off to a fast start inside um, the organization. Those are just some straightforward examples that I think anybody can put in place. This might be a simplistic question, but how do the best organizations measure their diversity um, to do it effectively and really connect it to business performance and, and something more than just, you know, ticking boxes about having numbers of people? You know, how, how, how do people think about, uh, are we actually achieving the right goals here? I think the main point I'd make to start is in, in business, anything that matters, we measure it. Uh, and then we incent people to repeat those activities. So uh, as we peel apart this work about around diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, it's going to look different for each company. And there's going to be a combination of quantitative, quantitative hard measurements and qualitative measurements that uh, you know, kind of guide progress towards the vision. Uh, so there's going to be... Uh, some metrics that rate relate to the composition of the organization. Um, and the best organizations don't just look at the demographics uh, in mass. They take them apart from the boardroom, 
through the executive suite, through the middle management. Uh, here in America, one of the things that we find is you've got organizations that are uh, incredibly diverse at the bottom parts of the organization. Uh, I'm coming out of the retail uh, restaurant uh, space, which has uh, a disproportionate amount of their frontline workforces are going to be diverse. But as you move through the executive ranks, you're challenged in the restaurant industry in the U.S. to find C-suite executives uh, in the same proportions you'd find them in lower ranks. So uh, really peeling apart the measurement is incredibly important. Uh, setting some targets. Uh, one of the things that uh, a lot of the companies do, they'll have a representation uh, target. So as an example, in the book, we talk about Medallia, the global experience management uh, company. And one of the things that they uh, committed to in 2020 is they wanted to have representation of blacks uh, at Medallia that represented the U.S. representation, which was 13%. So they uh, committed 100% of the equity compensation of their executive team uh, to reaching that goal over four years. And they measured it uh, routinely. And they, you know, a couple of years in had uh, eclipsed almost 8% from 1%. Wow. And what did they see changed in the organization? I, th I think you uh, always, when you have a more diverse organization, you're able to uh, reach different markets. I believe you actually accelerate innovation in a different fashion. And the, the company is in the process of having one of its best years uh, in, the, in the marketplace. And talk to me about the, the terminology, because there's an awful lot of different terms that different people use, diversity and inclusion, equity, belonging. And in the book, you, you, know, you pick up on specifically on anti-racism. So why, why have you picked on anti-racism? And, and unpick for me the, the different terms and, and what people should be using and thinking about in, in today's world. I think as we describe anti-racist leadership, and this is a place that my daughter, Krista, I think was foundational to us landing uh, in this place. I think you've got a, a couple generations now in the workforce where we just need to call things what they are. We need to be very specific. We can't straddle the fence. But from an anti-racist uh, leadership perspective, this is really about taking action. Um, we can't be bystanders in this work. And the, the work of the anti-racist uh, leader and organization uh, is to really be clear on what they stand uh, for and against. So one example that I talk about in the book, one of the retailers that I work with is uh, Snook Supermarket. Uh, and uh, they've got a platform around this work that says, we stand against racism, unity is power. And there's and that's the platform from which they've rolled out all their work in this space around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's just a clear statement of values that they're holding the organization accountable to. Um, you know, so diversity uh, for me speaks to uh, representation, um, you know, kind of broadly, if you just think about whatever the demographics are uh, of an organization uh, inclusion is really how you engage me in in the process and create equal opportunities for us all to access the tools and the resources of the 
organization. And then, you know, equity is, you know, just making sure that the, the, there is equity in pay and opportunity a, across uh, the entirety of the organization. Uh, and then some folks talk about belonging, uh, belonging, you know, for me is a close cousin uh, to the, the work around in, inclusion. And so, and, and so your particular sort of passion and focus is about increasing representation and, and particularly around uh, representation in ethnicity. Um, are those lessons applicable equally to sexism, to gender diversity, to ageism, to other other areas as well? Is it the, the similar playbook could be applied, do you think? Really, our work is is really across diversity broadly. Uh, I happen to be a, you know, a, a black uh, leader, so I bring more lived experience and kind of knowledge uh, in that space. Uh, but my daughter, uh, uh, Krista, is queer, and that, you know, so that is, you know, foundational to the work. I think one of the other things that we hit on in the book, and this is something that Krista talks about, is really uh, understanding intersectionality. Uh, we don't we don't bring just one identity. So if she was on this call, she would say, "I'm a black woman who is queer," um, and I think we've got to really understand that we all are more than you know just one identity in many cases. One of the things that I really like listeners to to take away from these conversations is this around this idea of an unlocked moment. So. Uh, a moment of real clarity, and I'm, I'm hoping that people listening into this, it's, this is sparking their thinking about, well, for me personally, in my organization, how well do we do this? And how do we need to be bolder about what we're doing? Do we need to make it more front and center in what we're doing? So when you're working with leaders or organizations within the Culture Design Lab, are, can you think of stories of, of, of organizations you've worked with where they've really made a dramatic shift in the way they perceive you know their actions in 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 this kind of area, and they've really made a shift forward. Yeah, I'll make a couple uh, points and share a, 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 a two examples. Uh, the first I'll start with, and I mentioned uh, earlier, Snook Supermarkets, based in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, supermarket retailer in the middle of the country, and around the twenty twenty timeframe. Uh, like everyone else, they, the CEO was grappling uh, with this very challenging time with the pandemic. You know, obviously, a supermarket retailer, they're in the front line of that challenge. And then the racial reckoning happens. Uh, and the CEO, Todd Snooks, and it's a family-owned kind of fourth-generation uh, retailer, needed to grapple with this issue. And what I'm very proud to report is that organization took themselves from the CEO and board down uh, to the frontline workforce through an education process uh, led by the CEO. The, the CEO spends uh, time every single week working with his head of people, his chief diversity officer and weather line leader, uh, looking at their diversity agenda. And again, this is the platform, this you know, focus on standing against racism, unity is their unity is power platform uh, as a board member. And I sit on the board of this company. I visit with the CEO on a monthly basis with his team. And we've been doing that for two years and, you know, have no plans to discontinue that work. But 
uh, I think the big unlock is kind of the the more time you 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 spend intentionally around this work, the more we all grow as a leader. The more inclusive I've watched the company become, the more diverse the leadership throughout the organization uh, has become, and I think uh, they've never posted better uh, results. And I expect that'll continue uh, moving forward. A slightly different example, different industry. There is a, a CEO we talk about in the uh, business, uh, really enlightened uh, leader, Bracken Darrell, who's the CEO of Logitech in the uh, you know computer kind of tools business, uh, big technology uh, company. And he's somebody who would have been one of the CEOs around the murder of George Floyd, made a public statement, you know, just wanted to find ways to make a difference. The place that they focus as an organization is around creating a more diverse supply chain. So the big unlock is as he evaluated what his company could do more of, it was to look at the supply chain and the key suppliers of components globally, making sure that any time that there were suppliers uh, trying to provide goods, that they brought women and more diverse uh, companies and founders into the process uh, and, you know, publish really strict guidelines on, on how every uh, RFP would have a diverse set of suppliers. So I, th I think there are many, many ways for us to uh, have an impact in this work. The advice I give often is you you have to start uh, where you are. The CEOs have to be committed to putting in the work. Both of these CEOs have put themselves in a place of vulnerability where they're they're acknowledging that they don't have all the answers, but they're committed to doing the work uh, in the spirit of being a, building a better uh, company having their businesses be a force for good and having a, a greater impact in the world that they uh, operate in. Who should be reading this book and what's a key message that you really want people to take away from the work you've done here? I, I think the uh, what we most hope for is that this book would uh, you know really spark a conversation. Uh, and really uh, offer a roadmap and a playbook for anyone who's interested in building a stronger company uh, culture around the tenets of anti-racism uh, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, the critical audience is going to be any people leader in an organization, uh, heads of HR, uh, inside organizations, obviously chief diversity officers, and not the least uh, CEOs and board members that want to build better company uh, cultures. And for you personally, when you think to the legacy you want to leave from this book, but also the wider work you're doing, what does that look like in 10 or 20 years time? You look back and you think, you know, you, you've, you've, you've done a good thing. Where, where do you want people to get to? We actually hope to be able to touch uh, thousands of company leaders and maybe spark a different way of being, a different way of thinking. What I firmly believe is that the future of work uh, is going to require anti-racist leadership. Now, hopefully, this book will be uh, uh, a small part of the, the movement to uh, creating better leaders. And I'm actually encouraged by the next generation of leaders that'll look more and think more like my daughter, uh, Krista, moving forward. Fantastic. 
And where can people find out more about you and where can they get hold of a copy of the book? Uh, folks can reach out to me on LinkedIn would be a place to uh, uh, reach out and, and find me. And then you can find uh, the book in all your favorite booksellers, including uh, Amazon and any of your favorite booksellers uh, on a global basis. Fantastic. The Unlock Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For corporate leader James D. White, his book, Anti-Racist Leadership, How to Transform Corporate Culture in a Race-Conscious World, written in partnership with his daughter Krista, is a provocative and practical guide to change culture and make a real difference for better representation from top to bottom of the organization. Maybe as you've listened to this conversation, you've started to think differently about this important topic. If so, then that makes me very happy indeed. James, it has been my great pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. Gary, thank you. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.